are listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. This is uh, week number 8 in our Sunday morning series, Identity, Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, this is the concluding message in that series. Uh, Lord willing, we'll start a new series next Sunday. I hope that you'll be here for that. Uh, I am super excited about the direction God's leading us uh, in the days and weeks to come. Uh, And I've been excited about this series. I've been excited about the feedback I've received from some of you. Um, Always good to know that God's uh, using His Word and uh, somehow, someway using me uh, to proclaim His Word uh, to impact change in your life. Uh, Please know that uh, it works the same for me. Uh, God's done some amazing things in my life over the last eight weeks through uh, this series of messages. And we've been looking at some strong identity statements Uh, We've been looking at some important words. We've been filling in a blank throughout this series of messages. I am blank. What what, what you put in that blank is really very, very important. Understanding who you are is really very, very important. Uh, And again, Satan would love for you to be confused about what to put in the blank. There are a lot of different things you could put there. There are a lot of words that you could put in that blank that would leave you defeated. But there are a lot of words you could put in that blank that would help you understand who you are in Christ. Up to this point, we have filled in that blank with seven key words. And what I've done is a bit of a mashup. We were at uh, Tiger Tunes at Ouachita Baptist University on Thursday night. And uh, it was a, a, a really, really cool event. And uh, they, at one point in their program, they did a mashup of songs through the years. It was the 35th year for Tiger Tunes there. A uh, big fundraiser for their scholarship foundation. And uh, it was really neat. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a little identity mashup of the seven words that we've used thus far. This may look like a run-on sentence to you. But it's a strong identity statement. And I want you to see it all together. Here it is. I am a created, forgiven secure, new, adopted, afflicted, and loved child of the king. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I mean, that would be worth writing down. That would be, that'd be something you'd want to hang on your bathroom mirror so that you see it every morning. I am a created, forgiven, secure, new, adopted, afflicted, and loved child of the king. Uh, those are some great truths. Uh, We're not going to go back and review everything that we've learned thus far in the series, but I do want you to remember some very, very important truths. Always remember that your identity is not achieved, it's received. One of the ways that Satan will keep you defeated is to have you understand and to think that your identity is achieved. And so you've got to set out to do something in order to find who you are. He says what you do determines who you are. God says who you are determines what you do. And anytime you get those two things confused, uh, you're going to be headed toward frustration and defeat because you can never do quite enough. You can, never quite re- you can never quite get to that point where you feel like you've achieved what you need to achieve in order to be who you think you need to be. It starts with who you are and who you are in Christ. I am a created, forgiven, secure, new, adopted, afflicted, and loved child of the king. And because those things are true, today our identity statement is this. I am victorious. I am victorious. 
Now, again, I, I can assure you, this was the title of the message long before the Longhorns beat uh, the Sooners uh, on Saturday, okay? I did not change my message uh, to accommodate. <laughs> this is the direction we were going all along, okay? I want you to understand that in Christ, you're victorious. Uh, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. So I have to wonder, why is it that it seems so many Christians are living defeated, downtrodden, depressed kind of lives? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't really know who they are in Christ. They haven't come to understand that they are created, that they're new, that they're forgiven, that they're secure, that they're all of the things that we've been looking at, they're loved. When you realize all those things and you begin to live out of that identity and, and those things mark and, and indicate who you are in Christ, then you understand the victory that you have in Jesus. I love the fact that we sang that this morning. Victory in Jesus. Now here's something that you've got to understand in the context of this morning's message that we've got to know. We need to know that it's not just God and us. It's not just God and us. There's a third variable that we absolutely have to factor into everything, and that is Satan and demons. Now, some would say, oh, time out, Pastor. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's old school doctrine right there. I mean, that there's really a Satan and demons. I mean, we live in a day when through psychology and through explanation and through a resistance to the supernatural, people don't even believe in Satan. I mean, come on. And so what we do many times is we turn Satan and his, his demons into these fictitious cartoon-type characters, you know, mythical parts of some historical narrative, and, and, and they're the stories that we tell and the fairy tales that we enjoy, but certainly they're not real, right? A number of years ago when I was doing a lot of student conventions, I would sometimes preach a message called Secrets That Satan Doesn't Want You To Know. And many times to start that message, I would ask the question, what do you think of when you think of Satan? I can't tell you the number of times, it, it didn't matter where I was preaching, in the Northwest, Northeast, uh, the Mid-South, uh, Western United States, wherever I was, I, at least somebody would come up with a similar answer, and it sounded something like this, well, he's the guy with the horns and the little pitchfork and the tail, you know, it's that little cartoon character that, that many people conjure up when they think of Satan. And as long as that's all we see Satan as, is some kind of little cartoon caricature, you know, he sits on our shoulder and says, steal the cookie, man. If that's all that we see Satan as, then he loves that. I'm convinced he loves that. He loves for you to think of him as just a little mythical cartoon character. And when it's all said and done, he's really just harmless. This is incredibly important. You've got to remember, you've got to understand the world is not the way that it should be. There is also God's enemy that's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. That's pretty serious, straightforward language, isn't it? Be sober, be awake, be, be aware, be vigilant. Do not let your guard down, is what he's saying. And, and Paul addresses this thing of spiritual warfare as well. That's why we turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. I want us to look at verses 10 through 24. We're going to go down through the end of this uh, last chapter in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. That's why he starts this section with the word finally. Finally. Now, there's a whole lot after that. It's like, like, like a lot of preachers, you know, will say, in conclusion, or, 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 you know, last, what that means is we still have a ways to go, okay? 
And that's kind of what Paul's doing here in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then he becomes a bit more personal as he closes this letter. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for I am an ambassador, what? In chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But, but, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a, a, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So it's very clear here from Paul's writings that there, there, there's the church, there is God, and then there is a war against God and his people that is waged by Satan and demons. Understand this, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. It's one of our identifying statements. I am loved. Jesus loves us, but you've also got to understand Satan hates us. Satan hates us. Jesus has plans for us. Satan has plans to oppose us. Jesus, in every way, desires to bless us, but Satan will, in every way, seek to undermine that blessing. It is all-out war. It's war. It's not like some friendly game of, uh, of you know, Red Rover, Red Rover. It's not, no, no. It's absolute war. That's why we call it spiritual warfare. And I think the reason a lot of Christians live defeated lives and, 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 are, and are constantly battling uh, these things is because they don't fully understand the severity of the situation. They don't understand it is war. I hope you know that this morning. Most Christians don't. We live in a therapeutic culture where God is reduced to some kind of life coach who came along to ask you what you want and to give you uh, what, what you want and to give you tips and to give you tricks to do a better job and to live for your glory and to, to be what you want and to get what you want and to do what you want. And in that way, it's absolutely demonic. It's that cosmic bellhop concept of God. God exists to make me happy. That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to be happy. I'm not saying that in his word he doesn't give us keys to being happy. But that's not the reason that God exists. It's to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so Paul has a very strong word here to the, uh, to the Ephesians. It's a military word from a commander-in-chief to troops on the ground for what is to come. We would do well to listen. 
if you've ever wanted to sleep through a message, don't let it be this one, okay? Uh, It's probably good that this is our subject today because I might just fall asleep during the message. Um, I I, I can get fired up about this because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced it. I I can say that that, that daily, like you, I'm in the trenches of warfare. Daily, I'm fighting the fight that, that you're fighting. And so there's some key truths that we've got to understand uh, from our text today, from God's word, that will help us in this fight and help us understand we are victorious. We're victorious. And so we live out of that victorious life that we have in Christ. Here's the first thing. Number one, know the enemy. Know the enemy. Notice in verse number 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You've got to know that you have an enemy. You've got to understand that you are hated, despised, and opposed by that enemy. But you also have to understand people are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. Now you may be thinking, well, my boss is the enemy. Or my mother-in-law is the enemy. Or my, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we could just go on and on. People with whom you're frustrated. People with whom you, uh, that, that, that person is the enemy. Uh, the person who just gets under your skin. That person who irritates you to, you know, to, you just can't even describe. No, people are, are not our enemy. Satan and demons are our enemy. And so our war is not against the non-Christians of the world. Sometimes we, we kind of adopt this mindset that it's us Christians versus the non-Christians. No, no, no. The, the people who are without Christ in this world are our mission field. That's why we always say, those with Christ, every heart with Christ, a missionary. Every heart without Christ, a mission field. So the non-Christians are not the enemy. Now, I'm just like you. I I can watch the news. I can read the newspaper. I can see things going on in our world today. And I think, my, can it get any worse? And and, and if you understand the battle between righteousness and unrighteous and all those sort of things, you can quickly transfer that to it's it's Christians versus non-Christians. It's us Christians versus that crazy liberal judge that says we can't pray in Jesus' name. He's the enemy. No, he's not. He's not the enemy. All right? Our war is not against those who would disagree with our biblical faith. Our war is against Satan and demons that have taken people captive to do his will. And so the first thing in any fight is, well, well who, who are you fighting? You remember when you were in, in, in I don't know, if, I, I wasn't much of a fighter, but I, I can remember um, even in elementary school up into junior high, and I guess even some in high school, uh, you know, you would get, it would kind of, it'd start fluttering through the school that there was going to be a fight after school. Remember those? So-and-so is going to fight, you know. And, and I, I remember one or two times that word got to me that so-and-so wanted to fight me. So the first thing I had to ask myself is, who wants to fight me? And the reason I needed to know who was because that would determine if I was going to show up or not, okay? <laughs> because if it was some dude that was bigger and badder than me, I, I'm not going to that, okay? I'm just not. I, I need to know who I'm fighting. First thing, who is it? That's going to determine uh, uh, how we handle this thing. I, I need to know who I'm fighting. And, and the same is true in spiritual warfare. The, the same is true on the athletic field. I, I mean, the, the other night we were over playing at Prairie Land, Queen City versus Prairie Land there. And, and I looked up in the stands in one little section, there were the coaches from Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon had an off week. 
And so they had come to scout their enemy. A a team that they were going to play within a week or two, I guess. Uh, What they wanted to know is, hey, what do these guys do? What what, what are they going to throw at us? What what kind of run game do they have? What kind of of offense do they run? What what do they do on defense? What are some of their tendencies? They wanted to know their enemy. When I was coaching high school basketball, it was really good to kind of know what my opponent was going to throw at us. Do they full court press from the get-go? Do they man-to-man? Do they play a zone? I mean, how are we going to attack this? I needed to know what my opponent was going to do. And that's why Scripture says we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices or his schemes. Don't be ignorant of it. See, sometimes we would like to just dismiss all this spiritual warfare stuff. Oh, that's just kind of negative. And I just don't like to think about, you know, Satan and demons and all that stuff. And so I'm just going to kind of throw that in the back corridors of my mind. I'm not going to give it any thought. Be, be very careful. Because Scripture says we should not be ignorant of his schemes. Understand this. Satan was created by God. All right? So he's not God. We know that. He's not equal to God. And, and you need to know this. He doesn't share all of God's attributes. Sometimes we mistakenly think that, well, well he's omniscient. He knows everything. No, he doesn't. He's omnipresent. He, he can be everywhere all at the same time like God. No, he can't. He doesn't share all of the same attributes that God does. And, and so Satan doesn't know everything. Um, and, and so he, he's created. He's also fallen. He's rebelled against God. Remember, it was the, the ultimate identity crisis. He said in heaven, I, I want to be like God. And that's when he was cast out of heaven. And so he turned his back on God. He declared war on God. Now, understand this, though. He's very powerful. Very powerful. Okay, again, we sometimes mistakenly think that, you know, he's this little toothless tiger out there, you know, just kind of grinning at us. Rawr. No, no, he's much more powerful than, than you might imagine. He's been observing human history for thousands of years, so he understands how to read people. Demons are fallen angels, rebellious angels who joined him in his war against God. They are real. They're real, and they're really at work in the world. You need to understand this. Under Satan's motivation is ultimately pride. That's one of his greatest tools. If we're not going to be ignorant of his devices, then we've got to kind of know what he does, how he operates. He uses pride. Satan is the most proud being in the history of creation. Meanwhile, God is utterly humble. We see that in the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us repeatedly, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and he went to the cross. You ever notice something in Scripture when it comes to humility? Scripture never tells us to be humble. It doesn't say be humble. It just says humble yourself. And so, and so it's not just act humble. It's humble yourself. And Jesus set the perfect example in that. He, we, we see that in him. Satan has done such a good job in our day uh, that an inflated ego is not considered a vice. No, it's a virtue. Independence is not a vice. It's a virtue. And Satan will in every way tempt and test your pride. He fell through pride. The angels who fell with him became demons. They, they, they did so through pride. And he will tempt you ultimately through pride. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You need to know that, that, that he is real, that he is really powerful, that he is really at work. Now, here's, here's an important truth to understand, though. You also need to know that we need to be careful not to make too much of him or too little of him. 
There's a balance here. There's some people who are just consumed with demonic activity and satanic oppression and all these things. And so, man, they, you know, Satan and some demons behind every bush. And it's just like, and they want to try to blame Satan for everything. And every, every time they sin or anything, well, the devil made me do it and all that. You make it too much of the enemy. But the bigger danger uh, for most of us is we make too little of him. Ah, Satan. He may tempt you. But you've got to understand, you're the one who sins. He may set an opportunity for you, but you're responsible for how you react to it. The language here is like that. It's combat. It's combat. I've never done much trapping, but I know enough to know that when you're going to trap an animal, a varmint of some sort, you've got to put something there that will lure them in, that's attractive to them. Whether it's a little bitty mouse or a, you know, a possum or whatever the case may be. You've got to put something there that, that they, they can smell, that, that it's gonna, you know, they're going to think, I, I want that, I desire that. That's exactly what Satan does. I remember a number of years ago, I went to the Bass Pro Shop in uh, Dallas, no, in, in Springfield, Missouri. I think that was the first Bass Pro Shop. And they had one of these big fish tanks set up, you know, and they had it set up to where an angler could get up top there and he could, you know, he could throw bait in and he could work that bait and you could watch. I mean, you were like down and the tank was, you know, right up at eye level and you could see exactly how he's working this bait, you know, as a crank bait or whatever. And you could see exactly how the fish would respond to that bait. And man, they would get their attention and they would lock in on that bait and it would just be like, and you'd see him and then he'd set the hook and it, I mean, it was awesome. That's exactly what Satan does. He's going to throw things out there that are attractive to us, that appeal to our pride. Oh, I need that. Oh, I, I, I want that. that. That smells so good. That, that looks so appealing. Do you realize how that will make me look to my friends if I have some of that? If I, if I, you know how much fun that will be if I do that? I, I need some of that. All the while, he's waiting to set the hook. And the thing you've got to understand is Satan doesn't practice catch and release. It's not just fun and games to the enemy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. It's warfare. Ministries like that. Serving Jesus is like that. Preaching the gospel is like that. Growing a church is like that. You say, man, this is hard. This is exhausting. Yeah, it is. I feel like we're going to run out of money. I feel like we're going to run out of energy. I feel like we're going to run out of opportunities. It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And I think some of you don't give and you don't pray and you don't serve because you know it's going to be a fight. And you're not up for it. You're not willing to roll up your sleeves and do warfare. So you just stand in the, in, on the sidelines and you cheer and, and perhaps criticize those who are at war. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, uh, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Know the enemy. Number two, know the king. Know the king. Not only do you need to know who you're fighting, you need to know who you're fighting for. You, you need to know who, who, who you serve. You need to know what side you're on. And if you don't know who you fight for, you're probably not going to fight well. He says it this way, if you look back to, to verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, notice this, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is His church, right? The spiritual battle. It's His war. It's not yours. It's not mine. We're not the king. It's not our kingdom. It's His kingdom. We're the servants. We're the soldiers. We labor for a great, glorious, and good king. And so he says, be strong. How? In the strength, in the power of his might. Jesus is going to need to give you his strength because yours won't do. Yours won't do. You know, we often hear people uh, mistakenly, they think they're quoting scripture and they say, you know, you know, the Lord will never give us more than we can bear, more than we can handle. Yes, he will. He will often give you more than you can handle so you are forced to rely upon him. What the verse actually says is you will not be tempted in such a way that you cannot possibly resist it. That's what it says. But quite often, God will will put things upon us that we can't handle in our own strength, so we have to rely upon Him. It pushes us toward Him. We talked about that in the afflicted message. That's one of the reasons for affliction, is to drive us to the Word, to drive us to God in prayer, to drive us toward fellow believers. That's what it's all about. So you, you, you're not, we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to fight this enemy. You, you can't serve Jesus for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't love your spouse for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't raise your children for a lifetime without Jesus' strength. You can't be a faithful church member for a lifetime without his strength. You can't be a faithful Christian leader without his strength. It's his war fought in his strength, and it is ultimately the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we must have. Know the King. And all God is asking you to do is what you cannot do. That's all He's asking you to do. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, you're like, God, you're asking me to do something I can't do. And it's like, good, good. Now now you're clear on the orders. Now you're clear on the orders. I'm asking you to do something that you in and of yourself, by yourself, you can't do. You're going to have to rely on me. You're going to have to trust me. So, so how am I going to get this done, Lord? By my power. By my power. That's why scripture says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. So this is not positive thinking. This is not Christians gritting their teeth and flexing their muscles and you know, showing Satan who's boss. No, no, no. He already knows who's boss. <laughs> you got to remember, he, he really is a defeated foe, right? All right? I am victorious. Now I want us to go uh, thirdly, finally, to know the weapons. Know the weapons. You know, you ever uh, hear of a soldier going to battle, going to war, doesn't have a clue how to use his weapon? like, what is this? How do you fire this thing? I don't know. Figure it out. I I mean, no, no. They go through extensive training and marksmanship training, all of those things so that they're experts with their weapons. You got to know the weapons that that are at your disposal. Uh, You you ever watched a football team? And you thought to yourself, they they don't even know their own offense. Uh, I've done that a few times over the last few weeks with a couple of my teams, I've thought, they, they, they don't even know their own offense. They don't even know what they're doing. I mean, what is the deal here? Come on. You've got you to know the game plan. You've you got to know what's at your disposal to, to, to fight this enemy. See, 
we all thought we were just coming to church today, but no, we weren't. we're going to war. All right, we're going to war. That's, that's why I think it's hard to get here sometimes. Know your weapons, right? If you're going to go to war, you've got to know your enemy, you've got to know your king, who you're fighting for, and, 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 you, and you've got to know what you have at your disposal. Notice verse 13 is where he begins. He says, then take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so then he starts giving us different parts of this uh, weaponry, you might say, or this defense system that is at our, our disposal. There's the belt of truth. Well, what is the opposite of truth? Lies. Any lies in the world today? <laughs> you better believe it. Yeah, yeah. You ever run across one or two in the last decade? In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says that Satan is the father of what? Oh, not, not the father of the truth? No, no, he's the father of lies, right? Lies. That, that, that's his native language. That's his first language, as we would say. All he's ever done is lie. And so when you and I lie, we're doing something demonic. We're doing something satanic. You've got to understand that. And a lie is where you don't tell the truth or you only tell a part of the truth, but you don't tell the whole truth. See, Satan knows that something doesn't need to be true. It just needs to be believed. It doesn't have to be true. It just needs to be believed. And so he's going to lie. He's going to tell you lies. He's going to send false teachers. He's going to send bad counselors. He's going to try to, to stack and to pack your life with things that are not true. That's where this whole identity series comes in. Satan would have you believe you're not really forgiven. No. No, no, no. You got to live in your trash, right? You're not really secure. I mean, look around you. Look at all the people that, that, that are there to please. You've got to be a people pleaser. Come on. Get with the program. Man, you got to start making some people happy, right? You got to start looking good to your friends. You're not really secure and who you are in Christ? You're loved, really? You think you're loved? Then, then why is it that you're battling cancer right now? Hmm. You're not really loved. See how he's the father of lies? He's the father of lies. That's why this belt of truth is so important. It's the opposite of the lie. And I'm going to tell you something. If you choose to believe those lies, who's responsible for lying? Satan's telling the lie, but now you're responsible for believing. It could be lies about God. It could be lies about yourself. It could be lies about people in our church. It could be lies about leaders in our church. It could be lies about the word of God. It really doesn't matter. That's where Satan really, I mean, you go back to the earliest pages of scripture and what did he do? He was telling lies about the word of God, wasn't he? Casting doubt. That's how he operates. So you got a decision to make. Will I live in light of his lies or will I live in light of the truth? Will I choose to put on the belt of truth? What are you going to do? Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. You ever been tempted? Anybody? Yeah, we all have. I've been tempted a time or two. Was Jesus tempted? Yeah, Luke 4, Matthew 4. Uh, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we do not have a high priest uh, who is unable to sympathize with us, but was tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. So you'll be tempted. 
But you don't have to sin, especially if you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And that is saying, you know what? This temptation has now provided for me an opportunity. I can either resist it, fight it, defend myself from it, to to use the language of the armor. It doesn't have to penetrate me. It doesn't have to harm me. Or I can welcome Satan and his temptations into my life. That's why the Bible says we shouldn't even give the devil place. Don't even give him place. Don't even entertain a conversation with him. Okay? Don't go there. Satan would love for you to think that he just wants to, let's just dance a bit. Come on. It'll be all right. It's harmless. let's, let's, Let's play games together for a little bit. Let's bargain just a little bit. Mm -mm. Don't play with the devil because he doesn't play fair. He's out to get you. So beware. Don't play with the devil. And so you can, by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to walk in righteousness. This is very important. Jesus died for your sin. He gave you his righteousness. Remember the great exchange? Where I exchanged my sin... My wickedness for his righteousness? So are you going to live out of that righteousness? That's your identity? And so when you're tempted, you you don't have to give in to sin. I'm amazed at people who think Satan made me do something. Satan can't make you do anything. He doesn't have that kind of... That's why scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. If you're going to give in to sin, give in to temptation, then just go, well, the devil made me do it. Like on Flip Wilson, remember years ago? The devil made me do it? No, no, the devil can't make you do anything. Now, he'll give you plenty of opportunities, but the choice is yours. The choice is mine. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to put on the breastplate of righteousness and choose to walk in, in godliness and in righteousness, or are you going to give in to that temptation? What are you going to do? So when you're tempted, you don't have to give in to sin. You can live out of the righteousness that Christ has given you. You can live in holiness. And if and when you fall, if and when you give in to temptation, you can repent and come back and again clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ. Wear the covering of the armor of his victory. Walk in victory. He talks about the boots of the gospel. Soldiers wear what? They wear boots, don't they? Yeah, not flip-flops, right? No. Don't, Don't ever see a... Uh, you know, a soldier decked out in his military garb and is, you know, ready for battle with flip-flops on, huh? I mean, here comes the flip-flop brigade. No, never see a soldier in flip-flops. And so you never know when the enemy's attacks are going to come. And and so you've got to always be ready. The the readiness of the gospel. People who who make the, the transition into ministry often struggle with this. You'll hear people talk like, well, like... When, when do I get some time off? Really, as Christians, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I understand practically speaking everybody needs downtime and all that, but, but, but there's never a time as a Christian that you're like off-duty as a Christian. You know, like, where you, like, like you wear your Christianity like some kind of coat, and you take it off and you hang it up, you know, like Mr. Rogers or something, and, and, then, and then you wear something else, and so you're like really technically off-duty as a Christian. No, no, the, the reason that many people give in to temptation is because they, they take time off as a Christian. They think it's a part-time affair. It's a matter of convenience. And so they will let down their guard. I, I'm taking a vacation. I'm taking a break from God. I'm taking a break from His Word. Are you kidding me? This is warfare. There's no time to take a break from God. There's no time to be a part-time, kind of in, kind of not, kind of Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. 
No, he says, these are the boots of the gospel. This is the good news about our king. The reason that you would sleep with your boots on as a sh- soldier is so that you can bring the gospel whenever there's an opportunity. You're ready. Man, good to go. That's what he's saying. And I want you to see that, that, that the Lord Jesus' life on the earth, it, it's like a soldier in war. The next time you read the gospels, think of a warrior king trying to take enemy territory. That's what Jesus was doing. Religious people, opposition, demons against him. It's a battle. It's a battle. And Jesus then goes to the cross, and as a great soldier, he dies in the place of his entire kingdom. He dies to win the victory. You and I need to know that the whole story to to understand uh, our place is right there. Our enemy has been defeated, but he's not yet fully destroyed, not yet fully disarmed. Uh, there are still firefights, and there's still a battle that rages. That's what it means to always be ready, sleeping with your boots on, ready to tell the gospel so that captives may be set free and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and, and enter into his kingdom as citizens. The boots of the gospel. He talks about the shield of faith. It says to wear the shield of faith. And then it says, this is to extinguish these flaming darts. Fiery arrows is the picture. So, so what happens, if you ever watch these epic battle movies, you know, of, of years ago, when they would use a bow and an arrow, and they would, you know, they would set this arrow, uh, they would have like a torch type thing on the end, and it would be, you know, dipped in some kind of a flammable material, and man, they would shoot that flaming arrow, and it would, you know, it would ignite, and it would, you know, set the, uh, set the area on fire or whatever. That's where this shield of faith comes in. That's why we need this shield. And what warriors would do in that day many times is they would have this, uh, these shields would be covered in animal skin and they would be soaked with water. They'd be quite heavy, actually. But whenever one of those fiery arrows would hit that shield, it would it'd be extinguished. You know, the Bible says that we're cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. And so Satan is daily like raining down these fiery arrows, these accusations, these, you know, he casts doubt, all of these different things. He wants to dredge up your path. Those are like fiery arrows. Just shoot, 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 shoot. What what are you going to do with those? Well, if you're taking up this, this shield of faith, then you can extinguish those fiery darts is what Paul is saying here. But you've got to have the shield of faith. So what have you got to do? He says you've got to hold up the shield of faith. You say, no, 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 I don't believe that, Satan. I know what this fiery dart's all about. You're trying to make me think that that's who I really am. That what I've done. No, 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 I'm holding up the shield of faith. I trust Jesus. I trust the word. I trust the gospel. I trust the truth. I trust him. And you've got to hold it in your own hand. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to have hold of this thing. The shield of faith. He talks about the helmet of salvation. Every good soldier wears a helmet. There's a lot of talk today about helmets and head injuries and all these sorts of things and whether they're always changing the technology to reduce concussions and all these sorts of things. Protects your mind. Protects your brain, your thinking, your decision-making. You've got to keep your head on straight is what he's saying here. You're going to get rattled. You're going to get hit. You're going to get knocked around a bit. This is warfare. What he's talking about is the helmet of salvation. False teaching is going to come. False teachers are everywhere. They're everywhere. And he tells us that, 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 that as, 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 prophetically speaking, when you look, there's going to be more and more of them. 
Uh, they're going to be spouting out stuff that, man, man, at first and on the surface, it may sound pretty good, but at, at the heart of it, it's false. It's not true to the word. And so he says, make sure you've got the helmet of salvation. Who's, who's the source of our salvation? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've not forsaken your sin and turned to the Savior, you do not have the helmet of salvation. You just don't. You may have some pseudo-fake type. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I, I had a, a, a Dallas Cowboys uniform. I mean, you know, I, but, but I, I never forget looking one day. I mean, I thought this was like the real deal, right? Like, you know, Bob Hayes back in the day and those guys wore. I'm thinking, I got it going on. I would get my dad to announce me and I'd come running down the hallway, you know, everything else. Then I noticed one day as I was, I was looking at this helmet, it said not to be used in an actual game of football or something to that effect. Basically what it said is, this helmet's fake. It's not the real deal. It's, it's not designed in such a way that it will actually protect your head. Okay, just, just a hard piece of plastic. So if you run into a brick wall, good luck with that. Okay, that, that's kind of the idea. You know, that's what some people, that, that's what they've really got. They, they've got on this, you know, this fake helmet of religion and good works and all this other stuff. Thinking, man, I've got the helmet of salvation. I'm good to go because I'm religious. I go to church. I've got my name on a roll. I've been baptized. I do good things. You've got to have the helmet of salvation. This is Jesus is my king. Satan is my enemy. I'm a soldier in a war. What does the king want me to do? Not what do I want to do. Not, not what do I feel like doing. But what does the king need me to do? Keep my head on straight. Protect my thinking. Surround it with this whole concept, this truth, this spiritual protection of salvation. I belong to the Lord. I'm a soldier in a war. I just need to keep my mouth shut and take orders from him. The helmet of salvation. He talks about the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Now you'll notice that really this is the only offensive weapon that we're given here. Everything else is, is really defensive in nature. I mean, it's, it's armor. But he likens the word of God to a sword. <laughs> I used to love to watch those, you know, swashbuckling type movies, you know, the three musketeers, all those things. Those guys could sword fight. Do you know how to wield the sword? Do you know how to wield the sword? I'm not asking if you know this is a sword. You might be aware of that fact, but no. Do you daily pick it up? Do you daily utilize it? Do you know how to use it against the enemy? That's exactly what Jesus did. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He used God's word. He quoted scripture right back at the devil, didn't he? This is it. He hates it. If you know the word of God and you're digesting the word of God and you're living the word of God, that is the best way, the best way to win at the war. Every day, every day. But you've got to hang on to it. See, as long as Adam and Eve held the truth of the word of God in their hand, then they had a weapon to fight against Satan and, and demons and lies. But Satan comes and he, he tries to take the sword out of their hand. Hath God said... Really? Let me tell you this. You stop reading your Bible, you know what that is? That's an act of surrender to the enemy. You're essentially waving the white flag of surrender. You stop studying your Bible? Surrender. You stop memorizing the Bible? Surrender. Stop submitting to the truth of the Bible? Surrender. Stop going to church and being under the preaching of the Word of God? Surrender. That's what you're doing. You're wimping out, man. Stay in the Word of God. 
Some of you have seen that. Life's hard, so what happens? Well, you put down your Bible. Stop doing the things you need to do. Stop living by the principles of the Word of God. You choose to do your own thing. And all of a sudden, some of those complications, it's going to get worse. No. Got to hang on to the Word of God. Make no mistake, First Baptist Church, this is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's not just a good piece of literature. It's the very Word of God. It's an offensive weapon for the forward progress of the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. So the first time you you come to church here at First Baptist Church, Queen City, and, and we don't open this book, you need to find another church, okay? That's what it's about. It's about, it's about this book right here. It's about n- n- knowing, knowing what we're to do. That's how we find out. So welcome to war. Welcome to war. Pick a team. Pick a team. You say, well, I, I don't want to pick a team. Team's already been picked. You're born on Satan's team. You're, 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 you're born again onto Jesus' team. And really only two kingdoms, two teams. There's really only two teams. And if you're on Jesus' team, then you better keep the sword in your hand. You better hang on to the sword. He talks about praying in the Spirit. Communication. You've got to communicate. You've got to communicate with the... You've got, got to know what, what the king wants us to do, Right? We do that through prayer. But I want you to notice, just very quickly, notice this. Notice the number of times in in these few verses that we've looked at this morning, you see the language of standing. Stand. Stand, therefore. Withstand. What's that that called? That's called perseverance. That's called staying the course. That's that's called sticking to it. That's called refuse to go AWOL. That's saying, I refuse to run and hide. That's, I refuse to bury my head in the sand and and, and try to... No, no, it's it's do battle. It's stand. Put on the full armor of God. Know the enemy. Know the king. Know your weapon. And know this. I am, in Christ, I am victorious. Victorious. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. Sometimes we wonder, what's my job as a a follower of Jesus Christ? Your job is to stand. Stand, therefore. My job is to stand with Christy and our four kids. It's not a temporary deployment. It's a lifetime assignment. I refuse to abandon my family. I'm going to stand my, my, my job is to stand with you, First Baptist Church, Queen City, and to preach the Word of God and to take the shots that, that, that come. My job is to stand, to plant my feet firmly, to put on the full armor of God, to do battle with the, with the enemy, wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ... That's where it all begins, is making that faith decision. Rejecting all else, my own righteousness, my own goodness. I place my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Have you made that decision? If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, are you daily taking up the full armor of God and withstanding? Got the helmet of salvation. 
breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, boots of the gospel. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices, of his schemes, of his trickery. Don't be dumb to those things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and our time together. We thank you that you give us an amazing battle plan. Lord, help us to to stay in the fight. Lord, we so long for that day when we can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to be good soldiers of the cross. Do a work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.